Hello and welcome to the year 2022. I'm Agent Scott. And I'm Cam the Provocateur. And I am like the star baby from 2001 floating through space, staring out at the cosmos. So excited to be in 2022. Daisy, Daisy, <laughs> give me your answer too. Yeah, so um, we did this last year, Cam. We did like a wrap-up episode of 2020 as it were. But at that point, we had only done about 18 episodes. It was a bit... Um, shameless? self Yeah, I was going to self-aggrandizing. Same thing, really shameless. That we were like, hey, let's celebrate our success after 18 episodes. Let's pat ourselves on the back. Well, I mean, we like to do that after every episode anyway. It's just pat ourselves on the back, um, you know, throw a bit of a party in celebration of ourselves. Oh, well, yeah, that's something we do. But that's off-air. People can't judge us for it off-air. But uh, no, we are well, that, That's shameless. on the Patreon. <laughs> Those ah, parties yes. are on the Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll see you there. <laughs> Patreon.com slash spyhards. But we're back again. We're wrapping up the year 2021. We have a lot of episodes to look back on, some highlights and some favorite moments. But we're going to change the script a wee bit than we did last time. Uh, we're going to change sort of how we do this. There's a little bit more interaction at the end. So just stick around for the next hour. I know you're all bloated and probably hung over from partying at New Year's. So this is just a nice, uh, a nice relaxing listen for you. Do people party at New Year's anymore? I feel like I don't. Well, I, I haven't partied in years, but that's because I'm a complete and total loner. But I, I've, I've heard that people party. Okay, I'm like a one-man band. You remember um, Dick Van Dyke and Mary Poppins? That's what I just sure. do by myself on New Year's Eve now. Of all the people's accents you would go to, it's Dick Van Dyke in Mary Poppins. No wonder you don't understand accents. Oi, I'm from London. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, governor. <laughs> well, so last year what we did is we tracked the films that had made the knock list. But because we cover 50 films in the year of 2021, what we decided to do was to talk about our personal favourite top 10s of the films that we covered. So what we've done, we're going to take it in turns, so 10 down to 1. And for, I mean, for me personally, Cam, it might be different for you. This is really more of a subjective opinion on what I liked about films. I Not many of these are on the knock list, I have to say. This is just more films I had fun with, that I would go back and have fun with again. How, how did you rank them? Objectively, there's only one answer and it is mine. <laughs> I mean, people people know this by now, but Cam edits the show, and 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 frankly, he edits half of my stuff out of it just so he sounds better. You mean people don't even know about our third co-host? <laughs> <laughs> okay, Cam, number ten of your top ten, but the bottom of the of the top ten, as it were. I'll go first, and this is going to be a controversial one. Remo Williams. You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> This is madness. <laughs> <laughs> I I came at this from an angle of like, what did I have more fun watching? What did I have more fun talking about? Now, Remo Williams is not better than Goldfinger. Okay, I, I can objectively say that. Goldfinger is not on my top ten list. But I had fun talking about Remo Williams, and I would enjoy going back to watch Remo Williams because it's a fascinating story of a complete F-up in the 80s of what could have been a massive franchise. What was it, like 50-odd books that, or something like that out there? It's crazy. Yeah, like 70-something. Who can even remember? It was a lot, yeah. 
And it also was the uh, one episode that got us hate mail. Oh, that's right. I totally forgot about that. Oh, funny. Um, I would like more hate mail, really. <laughs> Validate me. <laughs> the problem is people don't care enough. Like, they don't mm. like or hate us. They're just apathetic towards us. They're like, they seem nice. <laughs> but um, you have really, I think, touched on something, though, that I've noticed a trend with you as we've gone down this journey of the past year and a half or oh, whatever no. it is. Um, which is a real appetite for some of these crazy 80s movies. And Remo Williams definitely feeds into that. And it's not the only one on my list. Oh boy, can't wait to see the others. <laughs> okay, well what about you? What's number 10? My number 10 was Ronin, a movie that didn't make the knock list. I did vote yes for it. I really just love this old school Frankenheimer thriller. One that, when I saw it in theaters when I was younger, I enjoyed it, but I didn't walk out really maybe appreciating to the level it deserved and revisiting it, watching it on Blu-ray. It was just like, this is incredible action filmmaking. And I was so sucked in, you know, on the revisit. I mean, you skipped out the main reason why you wanted Ronan on your list. Okay. I'm drawing a blank as to what that could be. Well, there was another Scott on the show that you much prefer to me. Oh yeah. Yeah. We had Scott Renshaw on that episode and that was someone, he was a guy I'd listened to for a number of years on the Mousterpiece Cinema um, podcast and it was a real treat to have him on the show and sharing my love for Ronan. Yeah, you two were uh, in Sapatico really. I wasn't a fan, but it was I think one of the two occasions where I only watched the film once just due to timings and things like that. So I think if I revisited Ronan, it probably would bump up my list a little bit. And I actually did look at it as maybe a potential for my top ten. It was definitely maybe the top twenty-five of the films that we covered, even though it didn't make the knock list. But I did have fun watching it that one time. I just found it maybe a bit dry in places, whereas I found a, a lot more hilarity out of uh, Fred Ward. Of course, of course, I understand. Well, no, I don't, but I'll say I understand. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, number nine. I have, and again, you're going to question me, Condor Man. Well, I mean, that was a pretty loopy, fun recording to do, and it was definitely a movie that, as I was watching it, it was like, this is going to be a pretty easy podcast. Like, there's just so many fun things to poke fun at. Michael Crawford's performance is bizarre. Oliver Reed is bizarre. Very strange movie. And the sheer fact that you, you purchased the follow-up comic book is testament to the fact that it has left a mark on Spy Hard's history. I don't know what that mark is, but it has left a mark. <laughs> it's probably like bird poo, right? Yeah, I guess so, right? Like, that does yeah. seem appropriate for Condor Man. So really look does. out when Condor Man's sailing over your head. <laughs> <laughs> you can generally see the cables, to be fair, holding him up. True. You'll probably hear the crane swinging by. <laughs> is that is that another bird joke? No, that's a, I guess, movie production crane joke. But oh, 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 maybe it is. That That's right. I want to take ownership of that always being an intended bird pun. <laughs> <laughs> Forget horse hards, it's bird hards. That's right. Mm. What about you, number nine? My number nine was Argo, um, okay. directed and starring Ben Affleck, and this was another one. Like I really did enjoy this movie in theaters, but going back to it, I was really wowed by just the skill that w goes into its filmmaking, and I was just so immersed in this movie. And it's a we can talk about the historical inaccuracies, but it's a portrait of a historical event that just completely pulls you in and makes you actually want to go research the actual events, which I often think is more valuable than a beat-for-beat -beat retelling of the historical event. 
So I think Argo is a really fantastic example, and it's just filled with great performances that are so much fun to watch. Yeah, see, once again, you've taken this list very seriously. And, uh, you know, Argo is a great film. I believe it made the knock list, right? Yeah. And and quite rightly so. I think we, we really enjoyed revisiting it. I mean, I had some problems with maybe the Hollywoodization, if that's a word, of the story. And you seem to maybe enjoy that side of things. But I, I did love the, the hilarity of the sci-fi side storyline with John Goodman. That was quite fun to watch and to be realized on screen, which is, but and also what's great about the whole Argo story is it's based in, in real life. They did try and create a fake film to help get these guys out, and that's a, a really interesting story. And I think if I'm going to be the the film critic guy, I think it was a solid film. So I think it's a solid choice. Well, thank you very much. I mean, my list is not solid, Cam. I have to say it, it's <laughs> it's rickety at best. Well, let's bring on number eight. Number eight, Little Dr... No, I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> kidding. I'm kidding. My second 80s film, and I think it's my last, Gotcha. Right. This was a real affectionate gem for you, wasn't it? I could, I could tell. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just... I, I, I think if, if we ever finally crack this list and, and cover every spy movie ever created and we get to the end and you still want to talk to me i i think i would love to just do something where we just talk about 80s films because i seem to just love this decade of films this was an interesting one in that i went in with very low expectations very low and you know we talked about how some of the espionage stuff wasn't necessarily fantastic but like just the chemistry with Anthony Edwards and Linda Fiorentino was like so much fun and really does carry you through the movie. So I always appreciate, even if I don't like the movie or it doesn't make the knock list or whatever that even means in the scheme of things, if it mm. gives me something interesting to talk about and an angle that I can look at it and go like, oh, that was really strong. I really enjoyed that about that movie. Gotcha gave me that. Like that dynamic between those two actors was a lot of fun to watch. I mean, Linda Fiorentino was on fire in that film compared to one we saw her in men in black i her her turn in gotcha was amazing and easily the best thing about it. and the fact that we got to speak with the film's director jeff canoe as well one of our spy master interviews which is something i want to touch on later the interview stuff but um yeah credit to him because he managed to somehow balance a comedy with a serious cold war drama set in east berlin uh i mean and that's something i echo on the episode but i just um i just have to tip my hat to it it was fun yeah, it was a genuinely fun movie, and I enjoyed watching it both times. I don't usually watch things twice, but I did because of the time in in which we did the interview versus the review, and it was not a painful um, effort to go back and rewatch it. You know, for me, number eight, go for it. Yeah, I went with the Parallax View, starring Warren Beatty, and um, just the level of tension in this movie and its ability to tap into that seventies paranoid thriller just had me sucked in and boy when you get to that whole finale you know looking out over the um, rehearsal for the political event just like edge of your seat for me and i found myself i think for the first time really looking very closely at the filmmaking that was going on in that movie and really just being absolutely blown away because it's something actually before we started recording scott we were talking about horror movies and how like it's harder to have you know, tension and like atmosphere than it is to have jump scares. And that's something that the parallax view does so well is nonstop jump scares. 
<laughs> no, no. What, uh, what it has is just genuine tension and atmosphere mm-hmm. from beginning to end that just really brings that sort of sense of 70s paranoia, you know, to the forefront. Yeah, I, I have a problem with that constant sense of, of tension, personally. Much like I, I mentioned it on the episode, but I don't like cringe comedy, for instance. I don't like being made to feel feelings. <laughs> I'm dead inside, and I, I just don't like anyone trying to make me change that. But, um, you know, speaking of edge of your seat, the guy who got shot at the end certainly was. Mm, very true. Mm. Um, well, trailing off now into number seven, perhaps a more high-class affair. I went for Alfred Hitchcock's Notorious. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Early entry. I think it was around February we covered this one with my my other half's mother, of all people. But that's very Hitchcock of me. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I just... It left a mark. You know, it, it, it was such a cool and suave story. And it's one of those ones that I can still picture, like that shot from the balcony down to her holding the key. It's just stuck in my mind. And when I think about good cinematography, that shot is just the, where my head goes to. Uh, and that was done in, in the 30s, I believe. That's, that's some terrific stuff from Alfred Hitchcock. 1946, so a little bit later in the 30s. But yeah, like nonetheless, just absolutely bowls you over. And this was one, like, I remember when I saw it the first time, it was during a glut of watching Hitchcock movies. So I was watching Psycho, The Birds, Rear Window, stuff like that. And I remember just watching Notorious and being like, yeah, that one was pretty good. Anyways, moving on, you know, moving on to whatever the next one was, maybe, you know, Strangers on a Train or something. And revisiting um, Notorious over the years has really brought it to the forefront for me. Mm. And it has, as you said, you know, there's that shot of, you know, zooming into the key. But like, there's just so many moments throughout that movie that really stick with me. It's kind of like a, you know, one that it kind of digs its way into your psyche and sticks with you even if there's flashier Hitchcock movies around it. Yeah, and we recently covered uh, To Catch a Thief on our Patreon for our Agents in the Field series, which is not a spy film, but it does star Cary Grant, which is why we allowed it into that series. And it turns out, much like Peter, I've never met an Alfred Hitchcock film that I don't like. There's a couple we may tackle. Oh, don't do that to me. That was uh, I was getting quite excited there. I, I, well, to be fair, I'm interested to see what a bad Hitchcock film looks like, just for reference. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think even the ones that aren't necessarily up to you know the high bar of the things we've tackled so far, they are at least interesting to talk about. Like, he never makes a boring movie. Um, what about you, number seven? Yes, number seven, I have Bridge of Spies with Tom Hanks, directed by Steven Spielberg. And, like, I've been hit or miss um, with Spielberg historical films like i think some of them are really strong other ones i just kind of go i can appreciate what he's trying to do but this movie did not grab me whatsoever i think of like the post um from a couple years ago with meryl streep and tom hanks like that one i was like yeah that was nice anyways moving on um bridge of spies is one that just you know it has so much going for it with the writing and that performance by mark rylance and just you know i was so happy we got to talk to one of the writers on the film um because every scene of the negotiations, every scene of just characters talking in a room in this film is electric. And so this was a real joy to revisit. Yeah, absolutely. And it was, again, a thrill to see the behind-the-scenes stuff with, with Matt Charm. Mm-hmm, definitely. Next up for me, number six, another classic film, an older film. I went for Spy in Black. Right, yeah. I, I seem to be smitten with 80s films and 30s and 40s films. Which is not something I think I would have said at the start of this podcast. 
No, definitely not. I remember you were, yeah, we've touched on it in the past where you were like somewhat nervous about some of these old movies, like probably fearful you were going to be facing some movie that like looks really rickety and awkward, but has like me doing saying saying things like, well, this is one of the most important films of all time. And you're like, I guess, but it looks like one of those spoof black and white movies from The Simpsons, you know, um, but movies like this, that's not the case at all. And also, it, it gave me a, a meme that I've been using ever since on my WhatsApp, which is the picture of Comrade Wright uh, staring at a stick of butter. Of course, of course, yeah. And an epic scene. This one was a runner-up for me. I didn't make my top ten, but it was one that I was I really appreciated watching it because we have a list, a master list that we pick off of, and we try to work in obscurities. And there's things on there I haven't heard of that we add. Um, I hadn't heard of Little Nikita, for example, before we tackled that. And that was the case for The Spy in Black. I'd never heard of this movie, and we added it, and I thought, well, in my mind, I feel like I'm often walking into ones like that, expecting something maybe that's a little creaky, and there's a reason it's not necessarily mentioned much anymore. Mm. And this was a case where I was like, wow, I was really bowled over by how effective this was. And this was a you know Powell and Pressburger film, and a really fantastic one. I mean, judging from the downloads, I don't think many people had heard of Little Nikita. That seems to be the case. So, um, my <laughs> uh, number, number six, six, yeah, my number six is a movie that was the exact opposite in terms of downloads. People have really appreciated this episode, and I had a total ball rewatching this movie. And that is Where Eagles Dare with Richard Burton and Clint Eastwood, the World War II espionage film. What a total blast! I am. Just in general, a bit of a sucker for these Men on a Mission movies. I love The Great Escape. And a lot of the ones that people would hold up as kind of the high bars. I keep using the term high bar, but I guess that's the word of the, or the term of the day. But, um, you know, a lot of those movies that people hold up very highly, I really can get behind. But I love one like this. It's a little more of a B-movie sensibility. It's a little more comic booky, but it's so much fun. Well, I mean, firstly, take a swig every time Cam says high bar. That's yeah. your drinking game for the episode. And I will say, Where Eagles Dare is my number four. Ooh, right. We have our first match. I like it. I like it. I like it. Number five for me was more of a professional highlight, although I do love the film, and that is You Only Live Twice. Right. Uh, I, I, it's something maybe I'll speak a little bit more about in favorite moments later in the episode, but you know, we had Chris Hewitt from the Empire podcast on the episode reviewing it with us, who's a massive James Bond fan. And I mean, for me, that's just a highlight. I've been listening to the Empire podcast for a very long time. So to share the, the microphone with him was an absolute thrill. But then also, I think this is a far more fun film than I ever gave it credit for. And I was really glad I got to go back and revisit it, you know, perhaps with my critic glasses on and be able to actually enjoy it. Because the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, this is so racist oh, and kind of boring. But now, I, I mean, it's still racist, don't get me wrong, but there's a lot more fun there. And I think there's some more interesting Bond moments than people give it credit for. You Only Live Twice is such a strange one in that, like, I've just never really been able to connect with this one that much. And I don't even know why. I was talking to a co-worker just yesterday about Bond films because he was asking what I thought of No Time to Die because he just watched it at home. Uh, he didn't see it in theaters. And um, we were talking about favorites, and he was surprised that I considered the um, Craig Casino Royale to be one of the best Bond films. And he was like, oh, really? Like, uh, it was good, but not in my top five by any stretch. But then he said one of his top five is You Only Live Twice, which to me is like probably personally near the bottom of my Bond rankings. So 
Um, I love the conversation we had about this movie. And, you know, like um, when we were saying about um, Gotcha and some of these 80s movies, that you only look twice, regardless of where it stands in my rankings, we had no shortage of things to talk about within, you know, the context of that movie. Oh, absolutely. We could have gone on for a, a lot longer. And it was a it was a thrill to talk about. I'm glad I've, I've reapprised it. I don't think it's making my necessary top 10 for Bond films. I'm just glad that it's now had a fair shake from me. Cat, mm-hmm. you're number five. Yes, my number five was The Day of the Jackal. This was a film I had never seen before. That's one of my favorite things, too, is when I get to watch a movie that's been on kind of my list of things to watch at some point that I've just been too lazy to get around to. This podcast forces me to watch some of these movies that have been sitting on my shelf forever. That was the case of The Day of the Jackal. I'd had it on my shelf for probably two years, and um, I absolutely loved it. It was docudrama done effective and efficient and just like mesmerizing to watch and edward fox as the jackal i'd heard about this performance over the years but it's kind of one of those like yeah 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 i'm sure he's great but you're also fearful you'll watch it and be like yeah i don't i don't really understand the hype but watching the movie i was bowled over and like the day of the jackal becomes so much better even after you watch the remake the jackal (laughs) (laughs) certainly makes you appreciate it doesn't it it does yeah yeah, um, I'm never going to live down that uh, that remake, unfortunately. Uh, what a film! But actually, the Day of the Jackal is is my number three, so we have a second match, which is which is nice to see. Um, well, my number four, as I've already said, is is Where Eagles Dare. I think it's a fantastic romp, and it was my introduction to sort of the Man on a Mission series. We would go on to do another one uh, in 2021, which was The Eagle Has Landed. Maybe not as high up on my list as Where Eagles Dare, and I think. Where Eagles Dare is the kind of film I would actually buy a copy of and rewatch outside of this podcast, which is one of the reasons why it made my list. But, you know, I, I didn't say this in the beginning, but my top 10 list was really just more of a solid 10. They weren't really in order, but I realized when we did the recording, you put yours in order. So I tried to order mine, but I'm not too sure on the numbers, so maybe it would move a little bit. But yeah, I, Where Eagles Dare is definitely in my top 10. And actually, we also did um, Operation Crossbow. So we actually had a third, like, Men on a Mission movie. So, um, yeah, I hope we have more next year because I know there's more on the master list and they're a ton of fun to watch. And, yeah, Where Eagles Dare, just so much fun. Like, a really fun movie, too. Like, I would happily sit and maybe on New Year's Day watch Where Eagles Dare. No, I, I may do the same thing, actually. It's actually a very good plan. Maybe we should do it in, like, in sync with each other. And, uh, <laughs> let's just record a film commentary for it. Let's stick it on the Patreon. Oh, well, that's very likely to happen at some point in the future. Yeah. Patreon.com slash buyhards. That's right. Um, Go for it, Cam. Number four. So my number four was from Russia with Love. This is classic Connery, a Hitchcockian Bond film, uh, Red Grant, you know, um, Rosa Klebb, like just so many iconic elements. And I always get sucked into this one watching it. And it's almost boring to start putting Bond movies at the top of the list. But like when they're this good, what do you do? I, I've only got uh, two. Thanks, guy. In, in the top list. So. <laughs> Thanks for backing me on that one. <laughs> yeah, well, I tried to have more fun with my top ten list, but you know, back to from Russia with Love. I loved this film because it was, and you used the word on the episode, Hitchcockian in in itself. It's it's the closest, even with the train stuff. All jokes aside, but I, it's the most one of the most tense. Bond film, especially that stuff in the train with Red Grant. It's uh, an actual masterpiece. 
quite easily making the knock list. It wasn't even really much of a question when we watched the film. Um, and it's one I would go back to. If, if I had to say, like, what was my top, what was my favorite Sean Connery Bond film? I think it probably is from Russian with Love. Right. Yeah, I have uh, one I rank above it, but uh, we may have to wait for that a little bit. So what is your number three? Uh, my number three, which we've already tackled, was The Day of the Jackal. Right. So what about you, number three? My number three was Notorious. So we actually had a match earlier on that I just didn't mention. So, oh. yeah, Notorious, it's like, obviously, the technical elements are incredible. But just the performances, like Ingrid Bergman and Cary Grant are just on fire together. So much fun to watch. But I always think of Claude Rains, like a character who's like <laughs> basically a Nazi, who the movie has like some sympathy for. But in a way where they acknowledge that he's doing horrific things, but he's also a clearly damaged individual. We see the relationship he has with his mother. And then like that scene at the end where he has to walk up the stairs to the guys we know he's who are going to kill him. And just how like it has this weird sort of melancholy that we actually mm. feel something for this human who is just incredibly damaged. Yeah, we've had a few films this year with with Nazis that are meant to be somewhat good guys, looking at uh, Michael Caine in The Eagle Has Landed as well. Yeah, I don't know that that's something we'll see a lot of in the future of movies, but it is really interesting when we come across them in these older ones. Yeah, it's an interesting storytelling technique to, to have your protagonist in a what would be a, a bad guy or you know a, a bad group of people, Nazis, communists, whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I as I said, I really enjoyed Notorious. I think it's a great pick. Um, my number two, <laughs> you may not like this one, but there's a special reason why it's uh, maybe not the top, but it's up there. And that is The Avengers. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, it's also kind of tied into maybe one of my favorite moments we'll talk about later on as well. But I just, we put so much effort into that coverage of The Avengers. And it was so nice to see the great feedback from people because we, we spoke to Don McPherson, the guy who wrote the film. We spoke to Jeremiah Chechik, the guy who directed the film. And we had a, a massive episode. It was also around, uh, I believe it was our anniversary around the yeah. same time. I think, I think we timed it with that. And so it was just a, a really nice week of coverage. And I, and I felt like no one's written the book on the film until we came along. And I think we really did leave our, our mark on the legacy of that film. And, you know, and not only that, but it's also, I mean, the film's not great. Let's be honest with ourselves. It's no masterpiece. But it's one of those films you could stick on and just laugh your way through it. It's not offensive, like some of maybe the bad ones we'll get to in a bit. It's a it's a perfectly fine film and I, I, a jolly romp. And I still am fascinated by the hour and 45 minute cut that's out there somewhere. When people talk about bad movies, it's like there's a dividing line. Like there's bad movies that we've talked about on this show that like were bad. They were brutal to watch and you just really don't enjoy the experience of sitting through the 90 minutes or two hours of them. But like that was not the case with the Avengers. I watched it twice as well for this review because of when we were doing interviews versus the actual episode and it was painless to watch both times it's a <laughs> it's a mess it's a disaster but it gave us no shortage of things to talk about and we basically did what like four and a half hours of avengers content that week and it never felt painful to be continuing to talk about the avengers so this movie offers a lot it's like i'm gonna name a movie i think people hate but like i have a lot of fondness for batman and robin that is a obviously notorious film, Arnold Schwarzenegger's Mr. Freeze puns alone. But like, 
I've talked about that movie on podcasts before. I've seen it many times. And I never run out of things to dive into with Batman and Robin. And I feel very similarly about The Avengers. Yeah, I think I could go another four and a half hours just on that film alone. And I, and, and much like you bought the Condor Man comic, I bought several uh, pieces of tie-in marketing stuff for The Avengers. I wrote the novelization, which has all the missing scenes, and I've read that. It's very interesting. And the, the making of book, which had, you know, photos of the scenes missing so like i i pieced together a lot of what was missing from the film i just find the entire thing fascinating i feel like you said i wrote the novelization and i am in favor of that being the case <laughs> i think i said i've read it but hey uh, no one else has bought it so sorry i wrote it too who cares at this point? <laughs> it's too bad they never made avengers action figures like it would be really cool to track down like a 1998 you know ray finds an uma thurman action figure if they existed i would I would love that. And also Sean Connery in the uh, the teddy bear outfit. Oh my god. Get on that McFarlane toys. Oh yeah. Limited production line. I'll, I'll, I'll buy one. Don't worry. You'll have one sale. Yeah. Um, what about you Cam? The penultimate. Number two. Number two for me was Goldfinger. This was one that I kind of just took for granted over the years. It's like oh yeah of course Goldfinger. That's one of the greats. But like you know, I've seen it in theaters, I've watched it a bazillion times, but reanalyzing it recently with Calvin Dyson on the show, that was a fantastic episode as well, um, really made me appreciate just the filmmaking craft of Goldfinger in a way that I hadn't necessarily honed in on in the past and that I, you know, compared it to Raiders of the Lost Ark. And it's like Raiders of the Lost Ark is kind of boring when you say, what are the great action movies? You say, well, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And people go, yeah, 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 what else? Because they've heard it so many times that's kind of the case with Goldfinger being named like the best Bond film, which you so often hear. And it's kind of boring to hear, but like there's a reason that comes up so much. And just the filmmaking, like the efficiency of the storytelling, you know, Connery's in full like Bond mode. He's just incredible in that film and just great villains. It just, it's almost so perfect that uh, it's uninteresting, but I love the movie. I mean, Calvin Dyson said it on the episode, and he was a great guest. And if you haven't checked out Calvin Dyson, check him out on YouTube right now. Um, he said he wanted to come into this review as like giving it this outsider opinion. You know, maybe it isn't what it's cracked up to be. It's not the best, but just watching it for the episode, it it just is one of the best, if not the best Bond film ever made. And I mean, it's not. It's in my maybe top five currently, but it's. Uh, it's definitely up there for me. And I, I agree with Calvin. I, I I wanted to come in and be the edgy guy. And be like, well, it's not that great. And what about the Pussy Galore stuff? But the rest of the film is just near on perfect. Yeah. It's like every actor who's, you know, occupying a role in that film is just perfect. Like, they're iconic. Every single one of them. And maybe not the guy who played um, Felix Leiter. But other than that, like, uh, everyone is just so locked in and... It is kind of one of those magic Bond films where it's like all the elements are there that obviously we would see in a bazillion other Bond films, but like they all just come a little bit extra to life in this movie. Hey, the ladies by the pool thought Felix Leiter was very magical. True, true. You got me there. They could not get enough of the Leiter. Um, well, okay. Another Bond and my number one choice. The world is not enough. Oh, that is not what I thought you were going to say. Interesting. Yeah. Um... You know I love Brosnan. Of course. It's just... It, I, he was my Bond. I was brought up on the Brosnan Bonds. I saw it this film in the theatres. And, you know, we had a great time talking about it with Dr. Lisa. Uh, again, someone else we're checking out, guys. And it, 
it helped me reappraise again that film, and it definitely bumped The World Is Not Enough up from a very low entry on my top 25 to very high up now. And it really helped me appreciate Bond's only female villain, apart from perhaps Rosa Klebb, but she wasn't the main villain. Right. As a piece of work, I just think it's a fantastic bit of, of browser. I, I've got some problems with it that I would probably tweak if I had some way of doing that going back. But as I said, this list wasn't necessarily in order. The World Is Not Enough has definitely jumped over Tomorrow Never Dies in my list of Brosnan, Brosnan films from rewatching it. But don't worry, Die Another Day is still at the bottom. <laughs> yeah, I understand that. Um, yeah, like The World Is Not Enough, I roll my eyes so much when I see people give it the equivalent of like the, the two star rating and be like, whatever, another bad Brosnan film or something like the very dismissive. And I tend to mm. notice this one gets dismissed a lot more than die another day. I think people get angry about die another day or they have things they want to say about die another day. Whereas world is not enough. You get kind of just the eye rolls. And to me, there's so much interesting going on in world is not enough. It's not, you know, my favorite Brosnan by any stretch. It's probably my third favorite, but like, um, third or fourth so like that's not exactly you know lofty but revisiting it you know with dr lisa funnel on that episode and just over the years coming to appreciate what they were doing with electric king i think is what makes this one really stand out so as someone who is a huge bond fan even the bad bonds or the lesser bonds give you something interesting to talk about usually but like i feel like world is not enough is even elevated a little bit above maybe a lesser um loved bond film just because of that character well, I'm glad we could uh, welcome the world is not enough to our nuclear family. That's right. That's right. And my number one, also a Bond. I went with Honor Majesty's Secret Service. This one is just, oh, what a luxurious Bond film. There will never be another one like it. This is so specifically 60s, but in all of the best ways. Like, this is the era where movies had to be big to compete with television. And, like, this movie is big. It's extravagant. It's technically unbelievable peter hunt's direction of this movie and just the style of it every time i watch it it is like the perfect bond hangout movie i i didn't add thunderball to my top 10 which is kind of my affectionate favorite the one i try to watch on my birthdays many years um but i think like you know i called that one island time bond which is kind of the hangout bond movie but like honor majesties has it just a little bit more. And this is like, again, one of those movies where there's just a bit of magic happening between the frames here. And that's a real credit to obviously the filmmakers and a lot of the co-stars because like George Lazenby was not a well-honed actor. This was his first time out. In many ways, it's an unfair film for him to be plugged into. He should have had more of a standard mission-based episode, you know, to set him up the way that Connery did or the way that Moore did. He got thrown into the really heavy subject matter right out of the gate. Like, imagine if Daniel Craig's first Bond film was like No Time to Die. You'd be like, this poor guy. Like, how did this wind up being the movie he has to be introduced in? That's kind of what Lazenby had. And the fact that you walk out of the movie appreciating him, what he brings to the story, and how he kind of lands those important emotional moments, that's enough for me to think of him very strongly as a Bond. And I love this movie. I love everything about this movie except for... George Lazenby. Right. I just think if if Sean had been in this role, or Roger, I think this has every possibility of being the best Bond film ever, and maybe beating Casino Royale in, in conversation. But I think, and, and yeah, we spoke about this on the episode, but I can't get away from the George Lazenby of it all. 
And so it always brings it down slightly on my list and why it didn't make my top 10. But, you know, hey, I, I, there's a great feeling around it. It's one of the only Christmas films. You know, we've just covered it. It it has that. And, and also we spoke to John Glenn. Like, what a story. What yeah. a guy. And I loved all of that. So I have a warm tingly it's sort of built into the film. But when I think about it objectively, I just I struggle with Lazenby, I have to say. Right. But I completely get it being your number one. I completely get it. Yeah, and it's not recency bias. This one would have been number one probably on any year we would have covered, um, depending, I suppose. I mean, I guess if you have like a North by Northwest in that year, maybe it trumps Honor Majesties. But like Honor Majesties is, I hold it in very, very high regard just in general. Absolutely. Well, okay. That's our top 10. Now, what we did do, maybe we'll sort of go through this a bit quicker, is our worst five films of the year. Uh, This, again, isn't in any particular order. But uh, and also, I think they require less explaining, uh, because if you listen to the episodes, frankly, you'll know why. Um, Cam, why don't you lead us off? What's number five on your bottom five? Taken two. Um, I did not look forward to revisiting some of these Taken sequels. Um, and uh, boy, Taken two does not hold up. Like it's got real racist elements, but also just like the action choreography is inept on every conceivable level. It feels so sluggish and just like kind of a bad retread of the first one. So, yeah. I have nothing to add. It's a slow slice and your blood's just slowly draining out of you as you lose all your life force as you're watching the film. It's not It's not a fun thing to do. But we did have great guests, which really did help the episode. Yeah. Um, my number five was The House on 92nd Street. <laughs> what a painful <laughs> film to watch. It just, not only is it just dull, Utterly dull. It has nothing going for it. It, But it also has some terrible acting. And it feels like it's two films stitched together. You've got like half like documentary and then half drama. It's not a docudrama that's more interwoven. Say something like Argo, for instance, feels kind of docudrama. Um, whereas this is literally just two pieces of... Like one's actors in a set and the other one is, is people working at the, the J. Edgar Hoover building in the FBI. Yeah. It's real clunky, real clunky. This one didn't make my worst just because of obviously Briggs, who is like the greatest protagonist we tackled this year. But um, yeah, it's a it's an awkward film, but I guess I'm a little nicer to it because being like one of the very first docudramas, I understand how it's not very refined, but it is a movie that's more of an artifact than a classic of its time. Like it's very hard, I think, for people to watch that one now. Yeah, I, I, I think the listeners would definitely agree. My number four uh, was Big Jim McLean, the John Wayne film we tackled fairly recently. Uh, oh boy. Like this one has some of the awkwardness of a house on 92nd Street, but with like the added like red scare kind of, I don't know, kind of sinister overtones that are going on here where this movie feels deliberately programmed to get the audience to side with a lot of the weird politics of the film. And it's uncomfortable even now and i would say like it was fun to tackle on the episode because we got a lot of things we could kind of laugh at or underline it's just kind of strange but it's a weird kind of dark film yeah it's uh it's interesting because you know on one side it's like an lsd trip like it's completely insane now yeah i'm sure at the time it felt quite sane but you know not only does it have this yeah, the Red Scare element, jingoism about it, you know, God Save America, that sort of stuff. But also, your protagonist fails. 
So in a, in a, I mean, they're making a a story version of a, a real life event that they're, they're you know, adding to it. They could have just changed some stuff and made him maybe win the court case at the end. But his entire mission is a failure. So it's 90 minutes spent surfing in Hawaii with John Wayne for no reason whatsoever, apart from you get to see him with his top off on a boat. It's not generally a good thing when you're siding with like the Joseph McCarthy of it all. <laughs> and that's what this movie's doing, right? Like it's very much in support of um, something that we now look back on as incredibly harmful. Mm. Yeah. Um, my number four was Big Jim McLean. Yeah. I, I, as I just said, it was just not a good film. We had a lot of fun talking about it in kind of a, you know, laughing at it sort of way. But uh, yeah, not a good film. What's your number three, Cam? My number three was Bullet to Beijing. The return of Harry Palmer in TV movie form. This one, it got number three because I feel like it at least tells something of a coherent story. It's trying a little bit, a little tiny bit, but this is not the return that this character deserved. And uh, it's best remembered as a forgotten footnote on the career of Harry Palmer and Len Dayton's work. I will never forgive that film for making me watch a scene where an aged Michael Caine is trying to make out with Mia Sara on a train. <laughs> and like this was one where you didn't watch it twice, right? Like this was one where after you watched it once, you're like, I'm good. Yeah, I'm done. I don't need to. It was two films in one week, which was enough anyway. But I was not going to watch four of that. I mean, they were clearly filmed back to back. I mean, this is actually my number two, funnily enough. Right. I really didn't like watching this. And I, and it's a question that we'll probably come back to in a bit. But yeah, an absolute mess. It's no wonder that in Michael Caine's memoirs, he held Jaws 4, another one of our Patreon exclusive episodes you can see on patreon.com slash byhearts, cheap plug. Um, he held that over the Harry Palmer films, which he said were, and I should say the Harry Palmer TV films, which he said were the worst experiences of his career. And they may well have been the worst experiences of ours. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's hard to argue um, in any way of them being particularly good. No, quite. Well, my number three, um, it's one we often joke about, and it's one that I really didn't enjoy watching, and that is The Little Drummer Girl. <laughs> That's, this didn't make my worst list. Really? Actually, you managed to avoid your worst list? Yeah. Okay. I know I was more sour on it than you were in the episode. Which was that was the film that allowed us to create the disavowed list. Yeah, this was the this was the film that prompted us to create the worst of list. So it's I, true. It's it's got to be pretty bad to create that. And like we had a weird journey with the little drummer girl, where when we interviewed Nicholas Meyer back last year, he brought it up as like his favorite, um, you know, literary work of spy fiction, and we hadn't read it obviously, and he kind of like. I don't know, took a little bit of a jab at us for not having read it. And I was like saying that I owned a copy, which I didn't. I don't know what was going on there because I had a collection of Lacare works and I thought it was in that collection, but it wasn't. So I was lying to Nicholas Meyer. I'm ashamed of myself, but <laughs> it made the um, journey towards the movie that much more interesting. Like when we, you know, had this one scheduled, I was very much looking forward to it. Uh, it did not deliver what I would have hoped, but um, it did, I guess, send you in the direction of the miniseries, which you really enjoyed. Absolutely. The the miniseries by the BBC was much better, starring Florence Pugh and Alexander Skarsgård. I think the, the, the storytelling worked a lot better in a six-part TV show than it did in an hour and a half, two-hour film. My number two is One of Our Dinosaurs is Missing. 
a movie that is just a disaster and just we've tackled movies and i think when you are looking at spy films so many of them are based you know in the 50s or the 60s and what have you you're gonna have racist elements that creep in they're in big jim mclean they're in the house on 92nd street they're all over the place in you know older films leading up to you know the 90s even um and you know actually the 2000s actually charlie's angels had a couple moments as well that were a little bit cringeworthy now mm -hmm. but um one of our dinosaurs is the worst i've come across where I sat through that movie and I just thought like, oh my God, like in many ways, it's kind of just a silly, innocuous um, Disney movie of the seventies where they just crank these things out like five or six a year. And most of them are kind of forgettable. They feature lots of wacky chases, that sort of stuff. But like this one has this very just hateful and uncomfortable racist element that watching the movie, I was like, oh my God, it's not even like a side character or a side story. It's literally the focus of the entire film. Like, good lord so yeah this was a rough one <laughs> it's actually my number one in terms of the worst five for the reasons you just mentioned but what i find fascinating about one of our dinosaurs is missing is the reaction the episode and the film gets online uh, you know i've got we've got some comments coming later from some of our listeners about their favorite moments and that film comes up because it, yeah. it it's a beloved film of, of several people that sort of grew up around that time and you know, all power to them. That's what they like. That's fine. Um, I don't think they're into the racism, of course. They just have a nostalgic feeling about the film. And that's fine. But, you know, both of us came into it fresh and just had a real struggle to get through it. And we had some good friends at the Best Film Ever podcast come on and join us. So we brought them over and we're like, hey, check out this Disney film. And then we show them this. I felt terrible for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's why it's actually my number one. But um, what's your number one, Cam? So, one of our dinosaurs is the worst movie I saw. But my number one, I don't even think is a movie. <laughs> it's a collection of scraps that they taped together and called a movie. And that is Midnight in St. Petersburg, the other TV movie that Harry Palmer features into. I put this one as number one because it reminds me in some ways of The Trail of the Pink Panther. Have you seen that movie, Scott? I have not. Okay, so Peter Sellers was doing several Pink Panther movies, right? He made, like, I think five or something. He did Revenge of the Pink Panther, and I believe he died either before they finished the movie or shortly after they released it. And, um, well, you'd think the book would be closed. We can't do any more Cluzo Pink Panther films. But they cobbled together outtakes and unused footage of him from past Pink Panthers and created the trail of the Pink Panther, which is, like, not even a movie. It's just, like, a 90-minute weird collection of incoherent nonsense. And that's how I felt about Midnight in St. Petersburg. Everything else on this list, you know, everything we tackled this year, I could look at them as films and say, okay, here's the problems, here's what I didn't like, or here's what I did like, etc., etc. Midnight in St. Petersburg, I'm just looking at, like, a travesty of just, like, compiled footage and, like, bored actors running around on a soundstage half the movie. Like, it's, it's not even a movie. It really isn't. It feels like it's the deleted scenes of Bullet to Beijing. Yeah. I, that, that, I think that is more or less what happened. And they just stitched yeah. it together with a few cut-in scenes. It did give you the the hilarious moment, of course, of watching the dog maybe explode. That's true. It did give me that, yeah. That is some high comedy right there. But it's like I you know, had Bullet to Beijing at number three because to me... The two of them between Beijing and St. Petersburg, Beijing is telling a story, not well, but it's telling a story. Whereas St. Petersburg, like, 
It felt almost like I was watching a few TV episodes that have been put together really badly. Well, you know, as I mentioned, the Harry Palmer TV movies, I actually lumped them in together. So I, I feel like I've cheated you a little bit. I technically got six films out of my bottom five. But yeah, they were my number two and I hated them both. So right. pretty, pretty bad stuff there. But um, before we get on to maybe our favorite moments, we had a couple of quick questions that we fired at each other last year. So we'll, we'll go through that again. What was the easiest film to watch? One that you had no reservations about going into? I mean... It's so easy for me to just say Bond stuff because honestly, I'll sit down and watch a Bond movie any night of the week. So, uh, you know, Honor Majesty's Goldfinger, those were super easy for me to just sit down. Um, I think, though, if I go beyond Bond, I would say uh, Notorious. I've really dug watching Hitchcock movies for this podcast. We didn't do a lot of them this year. Uh, We will have, I think, a few more in 2022. But getting to do Notorious was really exciting for me and... It did not take a lot for me to sit down and watch it at all. Interesting choice. I didn't think you'd go down that route. I thought you would have gone more towards what I chose. But yeah, I, Notorious is, is a terrific film. It's why it's in my top 10. It's in your top 10 too. I, I, it's one of those ones I think I could go back and easily watch and, and still find things to enjoy. Um, to answer my own question, and neither of these two films, I cheated again, I did pick two. Neither of them made my top 10, nor did they fall into my bottom five. But they are Charlie's Angels and Triple X. Yeah, because they are they're the sweet spot. It's like 2001, 2002, respectively, I believe, something like that. Right when I was enjoying those kinds of films and I'd seen them so many times before that putting them on was just like putting on a warm blanket. And I could just relive my uh, youth, you know, when I had hair and and vitality. (laughs) Yes, the uh, driving along the uh, desert highway, you know, the convertible. Yeah, Yeah, classic Scott. Um this was a case where I don't know that I sat down to those with like um, enthusiasm. It was more nervousness because I'd seen them both back in the day and I, you know, reasonably enjoyed both Triple X and Charlie's Angels, but I was almost scared to go backwards because sometimes when you watch something that's so specifically of its era, you sit there and cringe and watch it through your fingers. That wasn't the case with either one of them, but that's definitely what was going through my head when I sat down to watch them. Completely understandable reaction, I think. But like, yeah, these films both have great soundtracks as well, which are really tied into it for me. I I love music, and I think just I had known them so well, right? Like the, I knew them like the back of my hand. That it, it was going back, and I almost like I'd written the notes in my head before I even watched the episode. So they were super easy for me. Well, I've got a question for you then, Scott. What was the biggest surprise you had of this year with watching all of these films? A biggest surprise for me. Interesting. I think it was Where Eagles Dare. Right. I had never seen a Man on a Mission film before. I don't think I'd ever seen a Clint Eastwood film before that point. Or Richard Burton. So I was very cautious about going into it. But I was just blown away. Like, easy... Easy film to watch, despite having a really complex spy plot and a very confusing scene around the dinner table. But it an absolute blast to watch. And again, as I said earlier, it was on my top ten. It's one of those films I could just stick on and watch any time. Did, did we say we we're going to watch it on Christmas Day? Uh, New Year's Day. New Year's Day. All right, it's happening. It's happening. It's had two mentions now. Where Eagles Dare is our New Year's Day film camp. <laughs> and it's not a short movie. It's like close to two and a half hours and it just blazes by. So I had a fantastic time watching this one. Um, 
maybe my biggest surprise. Um, I would say I was genuinely shocked at Sophia Loren's contributions to Operation Crossbow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a surprise. You took that very literally. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I, I, remember, I remember you pitching that film to me and you're like, it's a Sophia Loren film. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I watched the trailer. She's all over the trailer. And then I watched the film. And I'm like, half an hour goes by. Okay, she's not here yet. And she turns out, oh, okay, she's here. Ten minutes go by. Oh, she's dead. Huh. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's crazy. Like, apparently it was a thing they did back in those days. They would have a, a big name come in for just a couple of days' work, and they would make it all about them and the marketing. But then, really, they're sneaking a film in. I mean, I guess they still do that to this day, where you'll see one of these straight-to-streaming you know, straight movies starring Bruce Willis. And he was actually only on set for like three days or something like that. So it does happen. But this was a, a you know definitely surprising example we came across. But I guess on a more serious note, The Spy in Black, I referenced it earlier, was one where I went in having no clue what it was and just really being bowled over. And it's one I could definitely see myself watching more times in the future. You just love butter, clearly. I do. Yeah. It's all about mm. the butter. It's all about the butter. Well, this one's maybe more of an easy one. Um, but we spoke about it last year. What's the film you dreaded the most? The Taken sequels. I had seen them both in theaters, and I really just never dreamed of a day in my life where I would ever watch them again. And that can be said for a few other movies, like the Jackal remake, for example, where I just was like, well, I'll definitely never watch that again. And then next thing I know, it's like, you know, X number of years later, and I'm sitting down to watch them again. The, the Taken movies, though, I just... Especially Taken 2, I went in just being like, oh no, here we go, Taken 2. And it was maybe less painful than I expected to go back to, but it was just as poorly made. I, I can't argue with it. I don't know if I necessarily dreaded it because I don't think I really remembered it. Yeah. I think I had seen them. I think I watched all the Takens in a row at some point before. But yeah, I, I had no real memory. I had people talking about the uh, the, the ill-fated... Uh, taken three fence jump right but that's more of a funny meme so i was more interested to see what that looks like in in reality so i i, I wouldn't see that was dreaded but then obviously you were reviewing films when these films came out so i completely understand you not wanting to go back to them yeah what about you we've mentioned it already but me and you both knew going into the review of this film that it was a stinker and a racist stinker at that can you guess what one it is dinosaurs? yeah that's the one I I was so fearful of watching this film. Like I'd heard about how bad it is. I'd read reviews. I'd watched the trailer and seen the racism for myself. Me and you, when we looked it up, we like looked at pictures of Peter Ustinov in in his yellow face, and we're like, "Oh God, what are we doing? We're gonna get cancelled." Well, we'd also just done Remo Williams, which had an element of that as well. And so, like, I don't know that I was necessarily dreading this one as much as, like, a Taken 2. Taken 2, I knew what I was getting. One of our dinosaurs, I was still wondering if I was going to get something like, you know, Breakfast at Tiffany's in terms of the racist situation, where it's, like, a side character that, you know, obviously because it's played by Peter Ustinov is going to be very prominent in Billings. Mm -hmm. But maybe, like, you're just going to have this whole other plot that that's the focus of the movie. And he's just the villain who pops up along the way. And that was not the case at all. So, you know, if I were to revisit one of our dinosaurs for 2022 for an episode of this podcast, it would probably make my most dreaded watch of the year. But like going through the first time, I was at least going in naive, hopeful in the fact that as someone who watches a lot of these old Disney films, there's kind of like a 
there's a sameness to a lot of them and I thought this one might just be more of that but it was so much worse in so many ways so you you just didn't know as much going into it so you weren't as fearful basically yeah I knew that element was there but I really didn't expect it to be literally the like the focus of the entire film or you're secretly a racist that as well of course um well, okay, the, the final section that I think we're going to do, um, spread out over two things, is firstly just some of our favourite moments of the year. We spoke about our favourite movies, but just some, we'll touch on a couple of quick favourite moments each. So why don't you start us off, Cam? What's one of your favourite moments of our 2021 schedule? Well, Scott, you were on a real hot streak for booking guests to come on for interviews for this show this year. Incredible guests. You know, we referenced John Glenn earlier, but there was... A lot of them. And one that really jumps to the forefront of my mind was Jeffrey Kane coming on to talk about, um, you know, co-writing Goldeneye. And one of my favorite moments was where he laid out the um, Russian roulette scene that he wanted to take place between Bond and Zukovsky early in that film. And when we um, had the interview with Nicholas Meyer in, you know, last year, he came on and talked about pitching. Uh, take on the villain for Tomorrow Never Dies, the Carver character. And I was on the edge of my seat listening to his pitch. Same thing with Jeffrey Kane pitching his idea of the Zukovsky meeting at the start of GoldenEye. He sticks a gun in Valentin's face and somebody sticks a gun at the back of his head because Valentin had all thought him and in he's brought and sat down in a chair. And then you remember there are a couple of half-naked girls wearing cowboy boots who shoot guns at the seat. And either side of his important parts, right? Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. That's not a scene I love. And if I'd had my way, that scene wouldn't have been there. But I can tell you what would have been there instead. And I'm hoping they'll agree that it would have been better. I think you cut from the moment when Bond has the gun in his head and his, the gun in, in Valentin's face to a table, a card table, Green Bay's small round card table. Bond's on one side, Valentina's on the other side. And in the middle, there is um, an automatic pistol, Bond's Beretta. And Valentin, this pack of cards too. And Valentin says, Bond, we are going to play Russian roulette. And Bond says, I'm sorry, but you don't play Russian roulette with an automatic pistol. You play it with a revolver. That's the whole point. No, we're going to play with this. What we cut the cards for is who goes first. <laughs> Think about it. That's great. <laughs> so, um, Bond cuts the cards and he draws a nine or, or a jack and Valentin cuts and he draws an ace. So he says, you're first, Bond. So James Bond picks up the gun and we don't know what he's going to do with it. What's going through our heads is what's going through his head. Every fire, every time I pull the trigger, this is, is going to be a bullet coming out. This is not a revolver. There's no chamber. If I put it to my head and fire, I'm dead. If I put it to Valentin's head and fire, then either it'll be empty or eight guys will rush in and machine gun me. So he puts it to his head and there's to be a long, long moment while we're wondering what he's going to do. And he pulls the trigger and it goes click. And Valentin laughs and says, Bond, Bond, you are the only man I know who can tell difference between fully loaded Beretta automatic 
and one which has no bullets in it, just by the weight. He picked it up and he knew it was empty. <laughs> That's pretty uh, great. That, that, that is pretty great, actually, yeah. A quintessential Bondian moment, don't you think? Mm -hmm. uh, more so than stand by your man, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, in terms of the interview, thank you. I, I, I'm glad we got some fantastic guests. I'm glad so many people said yes. Crazy. We spoke to Rawson Marshall Thurber, um, Jeremiah Chechik, Jeff Kane, Jeff Canoe. This is very long. I think we had about 14 interviews all in all in the year of 2021. And I mean, we are so, uh, so blessed to have had the opportunity to speak to those people because I think I didn't think when we started this year, because we had done the Nicholas Meyer interview in 2020. I didn't think it would become this whole other section of our podcast. Yeah. But I think it's really enriched what we're doing here because we're getting these people in that aren't always having the opportunity to talk about their films. Like John Glenn, for instance, I, I much as I loved talking to John Glenn and it was a personal thing I, I wanted to do. Um, he's spoken about Bond many times. Yeah. Whereas I don't think Jeff Kane has really spoken about his time on Goldeneye for some strange reason. And I'm glad he had the opportunity with us. Well, that's something we've really discovered is a lot of these writers have so much to say just about the story evolution, and they are not people that are frequently interviewed about their work. And so hearing Jeffrey Kane talk about Goldeneye was riveting or Rich Wilkes talking about Triple X, there was a lot of these writer interviews that were my favorites of the year. But the Jeffrey Kane one, just as a Bond geek, mm. hearing that pitch for that scene was just, it was honestly probably more interesting to me than watching a deleted scene of that. Just hearing the passion that he had for that scene and conveying what he wanted to see on screen to me was just mesmerizing. Absolutely. And if we're talking about one of my favorite moments, um, maybe a bit harder to get a clip for, but it was just our guests, our guest hosts that we had on the show. I mean, we had Helen O'Hara and Chris Hewitt from the Empire podcast, which I mentioned earlier, and I've been listening to the Empire podcast literally for years. So to share a podcast arena with them is makes me feel like I might be doing something right. Um, and to have them agree to come on the show was, was fantastic. Of course, we had Chris for You Only Live Twice and Helen for Charlie's Angels 2 Full Throttle. Um, but, you know, other guests as well. You mentioned Scott Renshaw earlier. We had Scott Mendelson on the show. Uh, I'm, I'm missing a, a ton of people. But, and, and, yeah, we've got some great guests lined up for 2022 as well. And, you know, I'm looking forward to sharing who we have lined up. But uh, I'll keep that a secret for now. Yeah, a lot of great guests. And actually, you know what? I want to just jump off of that for one of my favorite moments. Maybe the greatest moment of the year for me and is tied to one of the guests you just named, Chris Hewitt. The entire battle for You Only Live Twice being on the knock list was my favorite like five or seven minutes or whatever it is of Spy Hards in existence. I thought it was hilarious. I was laughing out loud while I was editing it. And... I've listened to it probably like 10 times. Like that is to me the pinnacle of what Spy Hearts can be at its best. I have more fun with You Only Live Twice. Yes, it's got some questionable things with the turning of Japanese. But I, if you contextualize that and you may remade this film now, they wouldn't do that, of course. But a lot of this film would remain intact. I think it's still f a fun romp. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's Connery doing maybe not his best, but if, if Goldfinger and Thunderball made it in for Connery's performances, then I think this is just about as good as they were. Um, so ultimately, I'm going to say yes. I mean, I can totally understand this, especially when you've got things like the Volcano Lair, the reveal of Blofeld. Like, there's a lot of iconic franchise elements here that I think, you know, even if you don't necessarily dig the whole movie, they're very important. 
And mm. yeah, I can totally understand why you would want to put this on the knock list. Excellent backtracking there, Cam. I, thank you. I, thank you. That's what I do. Admire it. Cracky bit of vehicle reverse in there. Uh, so, <laughs> so well done. We, we inducted our man Flint because of its effect on, <laughs> on, on like films, because of what it meant to films. So I mean, if, if that can get in, I think this can too. I mean, I, I, using that criteria, just any film will get on the knock list. It's just well, like, you know, Men in Black International yeah. didn't make it on. You'll be pleased to know. So, okay. <laughs> but it should. It should get well, on the knock list because it's it's just a film and <laughs> it 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 has a beginning and a middle and an end and and you know that's what he- our man Flint has. He- hearing our podcast deconstructed by a guy who actually reviews films for a living is it's really nice. <laughs> yeah, it's- I, I feel deeply fulfilled about my hobby and passion. It, they say never meet your heroes. But having one of your heroes tear apart your podcast premise in front of you on your own show is is definitely an experience that I won't forget. I am a big listener to the film cast, or formerly known as the Slash Film Cast. Mm -hmm. And back in the day, they used to have Ryan Johnson on the show every now and again. I remember he came on the first time to do Star Trek 2009. And then he would pop up here and there over the years, come on, review movies with them. And he became their, like, personal troll. Where, you know, at first he would come on and just do reviews. And then at a certain point, he would, like, play the banjo during the recording. And, like, one of the hosts would start talking. And suddenly he would just start playing the banjo over them. And it became this running joke of how was Ryan Johnson going to derail the podcast every time. And I remember he did one where he was sitting next to an ice maker on a fridge. And just kept setting off the ice maker at random moments throughout the episode. <laughs> like... It just was so much fun. And I got that sort of energy off the Chris Hewitt where, like, he was having fun. We were all laughing about the knock list and everything. But, like, he was kind of trolling the concept but making great podcasting doing it. It was – I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I like to tell myself it was all in jest and he actually really likes the idea. At least that's why I tell myself to sleep at night. Sure, of course. Yeah. Whatever helps. Um, For me, another highlight was Rich Wilkes, who you mentioned earlier as an interview. Um, just tearing into you. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I mean, last year we mentioned you messing up the Vern Troyer thing in Men in Black. That was a personal highlight this year. But hearing a, a bona fide screenwriter who has written several major motion pictures tearing you to pieces and saying your opinions are basically invalid was one of my funniest moments because I just got to sit there and watch him take you apart, which was fun. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I appreciated it too. You know, even in that moment, you know, too, it's like, this is going to be really fun to listen to. And that does obviously go through my mind. The thing is, you weren't playing it up. You really didn't like Triple X. No, I say it. You can go back and listen to the tape. I actually say I enjoyed Triple X, and I say that in the review episode as well. Okay. We're not, we don't believe you, Cam. We don't believe you. Okay. Fine, fine. Okay, so my final favorite moment, and there was a lot. I just, like, just to toss a few off, the whole Vargas bit in Thunderball was a blast the Paul Newman jumping off the boat in the Macintosh man were amazing moments like there's a ton of small funny moments that have just really stuck with me um another one was um Aubrey's Gollum impression in our Jason Bourne episode that was a real highlight for someone like me who loves impressions that was an absolute blast and I can't wait to have Chicklet back on the show at some point but the one I would really want to cite is honestly just the uh, Brosnan roundtable episode that took a lot of moving parts to bring it together. We had a you know a number of guests on that. We had you know Shayla, we had Tom, we had Nicholas. We had a lot of people, all the past people who had reviewed Brosnan films taking part in that episode. And 
it was a monster to edit. Like, of all the episodes we did this year, it was the one that was easily the most work. We had you recording guitar and bass parts for transition, you know, moments. Um, it was an episode that, like, as you're working on it, you're going, boy, I hope this delivers. Like, I hope people enjoy this because this is taking up my week, basically, to edit mm. this thing together. And the fact that, like, it was so much work, but we had so much great feedback. And I look at the download numbers on that one, and it is one that is constantly being, you know, discovered. And who knows, maybe even revisited. I have no idea. But, like, it was one that I'm very, very proud of. Probably within our episodes for the year, it was kind of our epic. Mm. It was our Lawrence of Arabia, the epi- you know, the episode that was, like... Boy, the amount of sweat over that one was a lot, but it really delivered, and we we're—I'm very, very proud of it. And I'm just thankful for everyone that, that, that chipped in, from our past guests to the guests on the episode as well. I mean, they were—they were terrific, and they were really patient some of the time. There was a lot of issues along the way with people's audio getting lost, and 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 credit to you, Cam. I don't—I think I've really taken the opportunity to just say thank you for your amazing editing skills. You somehow make me sound like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> no problem. And that was a funny one, too, because, like, usually when we have these, I'll have, like, three audio files or something that I'm dealing with, right, that I've got to edit down and get to the final show. Whereas, like, I believe with that one, oh, man, the file for that Brosnan episode was something like 40 files or something like that I had to juggle between. It was unbelievable. And to be fair, that was our first ever roundtable because it was the first time we'd ever wrapped up a bond. Yeah. And I think going forward, we will be doing roundtables for the bonds, but we're looking to also do roundtables for other franchises that we've wrapped. But further on down the line with a bit of distance. Maybe we'll do a Jason Bourne one this year in 2022 because it's been a while since we've spoken about him. Or maybe we'll wait a bit. But, you know, some of the bigger franchises that we've wrapped up, maybe we'll do on Frost and Powers when we get around to that. It's, a, it's an interesting way of having different people come in from a different angle and talk about the films after we've already reviewed them. Well, that was some of our favourite moments. But before we wrap up, we actually threw the question out to some of our listeners for their favourite Spy Hards moments in 2021. So without further ado, me and Cam are going to take it in turns and, and read them out. The first one I have comes from Shane at 007 Islander on Instagram, who says his favourite moment was the What Does Vargas Do t-shirt? Thank you, Shane. And, of course, the Jeffrey Kane interview. And, yeah, we had a blast with that. And also, as for the shirt, you know, it's still on sale on redbubble.com. Thank you to Shayla, who designed the shirt. And thank you to everyone who's purchased one. Well, here's one I have from Shayla. So she mentioned, anytime Cam sings a Bond theme, it's my favorite moment. So, yeah. (laughs) Take it away, Cam. Golden Eye. From Russia, with love, (laughs) I say to you, tomorrow never dies. The world is not enough. Goldfinger. Die another day. Sigmund Freud. Thunderball. You only live twice. On Her Majesty's Secret Service. (laughs) And of course, you can find a link to Shayla on Twitter by just looking at the show notes. And she is mentioned in reference to the Vargas shirt which she designed. So check that out. Next up, we have Tom Butler, who is, of course, from the James Bond A to Z podcast, who I recommend you guys check out. But he also joined us for our Brosnan Roundtable. And his says his favorite moments of 2021 was the Jeff Kane interview, which is getting a lot of love today. And he loved the Avengers 
episodes, especially the Jeremiah Chechik interview, it was fascinating to get the behind the scenes. Yeah, that interview, I think, really caught on with traction with people, the way the Avengers did too, where there was a lot of appetite for that interview, and it's good to hear people enjoyed it. Um, a movie that maybe didn't get a lot of appreciation from us, but um, you know, Ian Graham referenced our one of our Dinosaurs episode that we did and said that was one of his personal favorites, and then he says, sorry. <laughs> We appreciate the sorry for our suffering, but check out Ian Graham's um, Cult Connections podcast, which was a lot of fun. And we actually talked about one of our dinosaurs on there with him. We somehow went back and talked about that film again. That's right. Uh, and this one's from George Aldridge, who, of course, co-hosts the Cinema Savvy show on YouTube, which we've appeared on a number of their James Bond episodes, which I recommend you check out. And he says, loved the I could learn to like it line in your Die Another Day episode. Um, we use that line many times, so I'm assuming he just means the whole damn episode because we never stop taking the mickey out of that line. Um, and we will continue to use that one long into the future. Um, Gavin Clark um, said to us, I've been trying to listen to them in order, so haven't necessarily caught a lot of the more recent ones, but I did particularly like the dad action movie Taken. And I said I dreaded going back to watch those Taken sequels. I did not dread editing those episodes because I thought all three Taken movies produced very fun episodes of this podcast that, judging from numbers, people really, really enjoyed. Yeah, I'll never miss an opportunity to take the making out of uh, him buying his daughter a karaoke machine, and then she chooses a horse over it. That was uh, that was a scene that will always stick in my mind. <laughs> uh, Shader also mentioned, when the knocklist got a dressing down on the Yolt episode is another favourite moment. Scott, you had me laughing out loud at my desk. Well, I'm sure she was laughing at me and not with me. <laughs> that was a uh, fantastic moment, as I said. Um, Sam Rogers says, I mean, I really love the Charlie's Angels films, the first two. So those episodes, and especially thinking about a what if the T-1000 danced in full throttle and then uh, laughing to t the point of tears emoji. Yeah, that, uh, the full throttle was uh, an interesting episode. I think Helen really helped us uh, punch it up a little bit there because I think we probably would have been struggling without her help. Yeah, I mean, it's a crazy movie and I thought she did a really good job putting it in context and bringing some intelligence to the conversation that is normally absent when it's just the two of us. <laughs> yeah, def desperately absent. Uh, thank you, Sam. Uh, Christian, who is the co-host of the Spy Fi Guys who recently joined us for the Macintosh Man, another podcast to check out, uh, says... I'm going to be a little biased and say that I loved Scott's little song about how much he hated Little Drummer Girl, an episode on which my co-host appeared on. Uh, if you want to hear my song, check out that episode. Maybe don't check out the film. Christian also mentions the also the jump off the boat moment in Macintosh Man. So <laughs> very good choice. Uh, at Nerdrovert, that's uh, Jason. And of course, he's one of our Patreon supporters. Thank you, Jason. He says, favorite episode would be from Russia with Love, as that film is one of my personal favorites. Nice. Yeah. And he also mentions really enjoying Argo and um, the episodes on The Man with One Red Shoe and One of Our Dinosaurs is Missing, he said, were good for a laugh. Red Shoe did not get a single mention this entire episode. Yeah, weird. Oh, well. Hmm. At Flixterfan says, I honestly got to go with Thunderball. That episode was just hilarity to me. Yeah, and follows that up with, I really enjoyed Mark O'Connell explaining to you why Thunderball is great. You didn't have to explain to me, I knew Thunderball was great. <laughs> I'm the only one that doesn't like it, apparently, out of the three of us. 
But uh, I, I do appreciate Mark's opinion on these things. So he he did get it onto the knock list, I think. Without him, it would have been one Connery didn't make the mark. That's right, yeah. I really, I remember going into You Only Live Twice thinking, this one won't make it. This is going to be the one that will not make it. And I was genuinely surprised that it did. Thank you all for your comments. Sorry we couldn't get to every single one. But again, thank you all for taking the time to send us in your favorite moments. And thank you all so much for joining us over the last year and a half. It's been a really fun time to sit around with Cam and talk about spy films. And we have a ton of great films lined up for you and some really fun interviews too. Definitely. And uh, yeah, it's been a ton of fun, not just with you, Scott, talking about these movies, but also just every guest who took the time to come onto this show. We had an absolute blast with I am still waiting for the dud guest, like the one where I'm like, oh, this is not going well. Like, honestly, everyone who came onto the show brought really interesting perspectives. We had fun conversations. I think the dynamics really came across the listeners. Well, Cam, I think that wraps us up for 2021. I mean, we did remark in our 2020 episode that it was a bit of a dumpster fire of a year. I think 2021 has been a little bit better. A little bit, yeah. I mean, we got to see No Time to Die. That was a highlight of the year. So we got something. Yeah, we had no time to die. The world feels slightly more normal again. And yeah, as I say, thank you all for joining us. And we didn't mention, but thank you to everyone who's had us on as a guest this year. There was a number of podcasts that have asked us on to do guest episodes. And thank you all for having us. It's nice that people want to hear us talk for some strange reason. Yeah, I really enjoyed talking about, you know, Bond films with the guys from Cinema Savvy. Check out those videos if you haven't. But just any opportunity we got, especially to go to other shows, and talk about things that weren't spy films was a joy to me to be able to tackle, you know, all sorts of things out there. And um, yeah, hopefully we've got some more guest appearances in the future. But we will say we are going to be doing a lot of Patreon stuff. So we may be a little busier with that and getting to tackle movies that aren't necessarily spy films. So I'm having fun on both sides, whether it's guests or on Patreon. Yeah, and I mean, I've already worked in three Patreon plugs, but hey, let's go for four. Yeah, if you want to get involved in our Patreon, we have uh, exclusive film commentaries. The first one was, of course, James Bond's Goldeneye. And this week, we are actually dropping our second film commentary with the Ipcris file. That's right. You thought you could escape Harry Palmer. You'll never escape Harry Palmer. We're going to 2022, still tackling him. I, I feel like it's a nightmare that I can't escape. But I'm sure you'll love me going through the motions and having to deal with that film. I'm, I'm sure it would be an existential nightmare for me. So jump in on our Patreon. Of course, our Agents in the Field episodes are there as well. Where we cover non-spy films from our favorite spy actors. And you can find that on patreon.com slash spyhards or look at the show notes below. Cam, what are we doing next week? Yes, we are going into a strong one. We are going to be tackling zero dark 30 starring jessica chastain and directed by Catherine bigelow this is a this is an interesting one to tackle actually it's a quite a harrowing film at times but we have a great guest we're joined by marianne johansson from flickphilosopher.com so uh stop on by next week and your mission should you choose to accept it is to watch zero dark 30 and join us next week. You can, of course, follow us discreetly on social media at SpyHards. That's S-P-Y-H-A-R-D-S on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. But until next week, listeners, there is clearly no escaping one of our dinosaurs is missing. So I'm looking forward to talking to him about The Courier because I think this is a really interesting movie and uh, hopefully he can shed some light on uh, you know, a film that has a lot of uh, mysterious origins. What? No, it doesn't. <laughs> it's just... <laughs>
Where did like, it come from? <laughs> uh, the history books, oh, okay. Canon. It came from the history books. <laughs> books? What's a book? Okay. You need to read one, apparently. Yeah. Um, go um, on, go on, go on, go on. I'm looking forward to going back to Leon. That is one I have actually seen, which is rare for us. Uh, but I don't think I've seen the Jack Reacher films. Although I do recall some sort of action movies with Harrison Ford in them. Do you mean uh, Jack Ryan? Wait, you said Jack. You said Jack Reacher. Did I? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I'll, I'll go back and say it again. I say yeah, about yeah. the yeah yeah okay. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to going back and, and rewatching Leon the Professional. That's a a, a fae. I'm looking forward to going back and watching Leon the Professional. That is a favorite of mine. And I do seem to recall some 90s films with Harrison Ford, like action films. So maybe I have seen the Jack Reacher films. (laughs) I did it again. (laughs) I got so far. I got so far. Uh, You had to put that cherry on top right at the end there. (laughs) Oh, God. All right.